This episode of Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka. Tito's Vodka for Dog People program seeks to rescue and protect animals all over the country by supporting and working with local animal wellness organizations nationwide, including us, Kansas City's very own Pet Resource Center. After all, they're vodka for dog people. Does that mean it can only be enjoyed by human-dog hybrid people made in the lab? No, of course not, because those don't exist. It's vodka for people who love dogs like us and you. Pet Resource Radio is also brought to you by our friends at La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish Radio Station, and of course by our friends at One Kansas City Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the Kansas City area or listen online at onekcradio.org. We are talking with our friends at Wayside Waves about helping pets that need forever homes sell themselves through great photography this week on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Sierra Howe, and welcome to the show. We're coming to you from the part of our building where we keep all of the snacks here at 59th and Truce and Casey Moe. We're going to talk with Trish Stinger and Taryn Jones from Wayside Waves about what it's like to get adoptable pets to take good pics so they can find their forever homes. But first, a little pet news. We've heard of food-motivated pets, but this takes the cake. Millie, a three-year-old Jack Russell Whippet mix, slipped out of her leash and went missing on January 13th. Nonprofit rescue group Denmi Drone Search and Rescue launched a search. They'd spot her and then she'd disappear. This went on for four days. Eventually, they spotted her on a mudflat with rapidly rising tide. If she wasn't rescued soon, she'd be in danger of drowning. That's when one of the drone pilots came up with a last-ditch plan, attach a sausage to a drone in an attempt to lure Millie to safety. It sounds like something out of a cartoon, but it absolutely worked, and Millie was thrilled to be reunited with her owner. A visit to the vet revealed that, apart from maybe a few extra calories from the sausage, Millie was doing just fine. Mmm, that's a delicious rescue. And it goes back to the snacks. All I'm thinking about in this moment is the sausage. That's right. But this is a really sweet story, and it's it's like a last-minute I can't idea. imagine thinking of that and being like, you know what? Let's actually do that and tie yeah, the sausage. Yeah, you have to, to think it. like the dog. Yeah. So, all right. So we've we've brought you stories before about pets that have been missing for a long time. But what about twelve years? An animal service officer was on a call about a stray dog that had been dumped on a rural property just outside Stockton, California, on February tenth. The dog was old and not doing so well. When he scanned her for a chip, he discovered that her name was Zoe and that she'd been missing so long that the microchip company listed her as deceased. But because Zoe's owner, Michelle, had kept the same phone number for years and years, they were still able to contact her. Quote, we got her at the pound when she was six months old with her twin sister. They were with us for about six months. And then we went to the store for about 20 minutes and came back and she was missing, said Michelle. The two were reunited and they're busy making up for lost time. I think both of these stories just show the importance of microchipping your pet microchipping your pets and if you find a pet um get it scanned for a chip because you never know who's looking especially if it's a it's a very friendly sweet you know what i'm gonna take that back it doesn't matter if it's friendly or sweet you get it scanned for a chip and even you know there are um, cases where you can't catch the dog so that's when you call in the professionals yep and they always have those chip scanners 
If you don't know where to bring a dog, bring them to us. We'll scan them and get them hopefully reunited back with their owner as long as they have a chip. So, yeah. And keep your stuff updated. Please. Also important. Yeah. You usually have to keep that stuff updated manually. So, so, you know, please do so. Foundanimals.org or it may just be found.org. I think you can go to both. Uh, yep. And it's free. Uh, let's go talk to Trish and Taryn. All righty. Getting good photographs of pets is important in our work, and we're not even a shelter, so we can't even imagine how important it is to our guests today. They oversee the shelter photography for Wayside Waifs, making sure every pet puts their best paw forward on the road to their new home. We've got digital marketing and brand manager Trish Stinger and marketing coordinator Taryn Jones on the podcast today to talk about it. Trish, Taryn, welcome to Pet Resource Radio. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Very happy to have you on today. So let's start with an easy question. You know, you both do a number of things over at Wayside, and photography is just one part of it. So let me ask, pet photography, is it one of the most fun parts of your day, or is it the most fun part of your day? That's a really tough question, actually. Um, For me, personally, it's one of the most fun parts of my day. Mm -hmm. It's always just nice to have that special bond with that animal in that moment, and you get to spend one-on-one time. But at the same time, I also love other aspects of my job, which is like specifically doing social media, TikTok, you know, kind of letting those creative juices flow. So I would say it's one of the most fun parts of my day. It's always interesting when we get a transfer too, because you just never know what they, what's going to be walking through the door. So you just, um, it's kind of exciting too, because you just never know, you know, what kind of tricks you're going to have to pull out of your bag to yeah. get that right shot. Yeah. Well, okay. So about how many shelter pets are getting their picks taken uh, per week? So it really just depends on the number of transfers we have in a week. Mm -hmm. Um, If we have large transports coming in from the ASPCA or from our shelter partners down south, it could be 40 to 50 animals. Um, We do an initial photo when they come in um, just for identification purposes in our system. And then once they've acclimated to shelter and been with our team um, you know, and decompressed, then, um, Taryn works to get, you know, their glamour shots as we say. Yeah. Yeah. Love those glamour shots. Um, well, okay. So as somebody who handles photography and videography here, I'm of course a nerd for equipment. So what do you use to take the photos? Do you have everybody use the same equipment for consistency sake? Do you mix it up? Or does it depend on the pet? So what we do is we have, um, when we shoot photos, we use 35 millimeter Canon um, cameras for mm-hmm. that. Okay. We're also able to shoot um, with our iPhones. Um, they shoot 4K, and so we'll capture a video that way, and it looks amazing. And it allows you to get a little more up close and personal with the animal without um, intimidating them. Right. Um, with your big with camera. a giant um, camera. Yeah. I've, yeah. Yep. I've been there. Really, as we've gotten more shy and fearful animals into our behavior program, um, we've really. Um, had to think about our equipment and what that must look like for them. Right. So a couple of things we do is we let them smell it, um, just put it down, let them kind of acclimate a little bit and um, try to help them to feel safe around that piece of equipment. Gotcha. Well, and that makes a lot of sense because, you know, that's, we ended up switching. Well, number one, it's just, it's easier to shoot on an iPhone uh, than it is to use the big camera. Um, but it's also something that we all have we have access to, um, and it's been a lot easier for us here just to get a just to get a gimbal and just put the phone in a gimbal and just shoot away. You know, it it just makes it so much easier. Absolutely, I think 
And I, I think too, it has to be something that you can, you can access quickly. You know, a lot of times, um, if we're working with animals, um, and we're trying, you know, Karen maybe is out with her team and she's just getting glamour shots, you know, their bio photos, um, and they're, they're playing and doing something really cute. Then it's really easy to just pull out that iPhone and start shooting yep. a video of that, that we can then include in a, in a more advanced video about their personality or even just include that little clip on the website because, you know, people, I'm sure you know this, um, every day, people don't necessarily read anymore. Right. So they really quick information. Thanks to social media, it's really changed the way we process information. And so they really want to read bullet points. They just want to know, you know, that basic, those basic character traits and things about the animal. And then they want to look at pictures and, having we're limited to three photos um, per animal and then we can do a video. So really uh, Karen does a really great job with her team on trying to get capture, you know, that animal in three photos. How do you handle pets that don't sell themselves very well? Like, like shy and fearful dogs. Yeah. So at least I have we have an amazing certified behavior team and they work extensively with these animals who have areas they need to work on, Mm -hmm. such as maybe they are shy and fearful, or they might be a little more energetic. They need to learn some manners. Um, These dogs typically stay in our canine behavior center and out of the main shelter, which as we all know, can be stressful for animals with special behaviors. So our behavior team is able to build trust with these animals and they're actually able to, able to capture some really great photos and videos of these dogs as they break out of their shell, which is really special. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. So what about the other end of the spectrum with the ones that are super energetic? How do you get them to sit still? Or is it just a matter of, you know, using uh, high-speed photography? Yeah. I mean, with the energetic pups, it does kind of depend on the puppy or the dog. But um, once again, our behavior team, when they assess these animals, they come up with a directive that is on the back of their kennel. Mm -hmm. So we are able to quickly assess that if whether we are getting the animal out or we have a helper, they can quickly see like, oh, this dog really likes treats. It's treat motivated or it knows a lot of tricks. It likes to you know work a little or it really likes praise. Like they try to give us ideas of what kind of works for that animal and we implement that when we're taking photos so let's just say if a dog is really treat motivated we'll start asking it for sit or you know get it to pay attention we also do high pitch noises sometimes if they like excited noises so it really does depend on that animal but we are very flexible with our bag of tricks that we have i bet you would have to be (laughs) Um, and every time every time we're doing like their headshots for the website, but then we're also shooting for marketing and fundraising purposes. So right. um, use these same, we use photos. Um, we mm-hmm. like to capture good photos when they come in to capture, you know, uh, or if we're in the field doing a rescue, we like to capture as much imagery as possible because we're going to be telling those stor- stories to our donors later and sharing that journey of that animal. So we're, we're shooting, not just, intake and then their bio photos or their glamour shots but then we're also shooting for marketing um collateral that we have at wayside and that can be through fundraising pieces it can be through adoption promotions it could be just through posters for volunteer recruitment and those kinds of things right yeah and all that stuff so important i yeah 
we we had a three person team here and yeah that's that's always part of it is like no matter what you're doing you have to consider all of the possible applications of what you're doing so my favorite is when they decide they don't want to look at the camera that's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> nope and they look everywhere but right in the lens and you know that's the most important shot because people look into that photo and they connect with that animal through their eyes right and it's amazing how many people will come in because they saw these photos on the website. And by the time they come to Wayside, you know, they see the photo and they think about the animal and they maybe watch the video. By the time they come in to adopt, and it may have only been hours, they have lived three Christmases with that animal and have all of these, you know, they have it all planned out, their whole life planned out together when they come. So it's really important to try to get them to look into the camera so you can see their, you know, get a a view into their soul. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's super important. And that is definitely, you know, when we see pets in here, it's usually for vaccinations and stuff like that. So they're not, you know, always uh, rare to go and look in the camera when they're here. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm familiar with. Now, do you find that it's, it's more difficult to get pictures of cats or dogs or the apples and oranges? Yeah, I think it might be, at least, I think it's honestly sometimes a personal preference or at least a situational thing. But for me, in general, they're apples and oranges. Um, Just because I don't know maybe that day what I'm getting with dogs or what kind of cats. Are they all going to be super friendly? Are they going to be shy? I don't necessarily know the animals before I get their pictures. Of course, I try to, but that might not always be the case. So I kind of go into it just prepared for anything. And yeah, Sometimes I have surprise days. <laughs> it's fantastic. I, yeah, it's hard with, with cats. They don't want to, I don't know. They, they tend to be less attentive. I mean, you can kind of distract yeah. a dog in a lot of cases, but I think a lot of cats don't, I go in every morning and try to get pictures of cats just cause it, it takes a lot of work for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, they can't. I mean, cause they could totally, I mean, you could use a cute little, you know, toy or little wand toy and they could just be looking at you and like, yeah, whatever. I like, don't really, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very on their terms. <laughs> so have there been situations in which one of your photos has been directly responsible for a pet finding a forever? I would say for sure. Um, I mean, we, we get a lot of that people come in and they see these pictures or they, you know, saw them on social media or they saw them on our website and they just, feel like they need to come in and meet that animal and end up adopting. Um, when we had the big puppy mill rescue last fall, a lot of people came in because they saw those, those, the pictures on the right. website or they news and were very specific. It wasn't, you know, you have adopters who come in and are like, I just want one of those dogs. Um, but most often they have the picture on their phone and I want to meet this dog. Right. So, I think, I think it's the story too. The more we can share about that animal's journey to coming to Wayside and then being made available. Cause the story starts when they're starts before they get to Wayside. Right. Right. And to appreciate that journey. You have to show people where they started. And it's really, that's really important for people. They really want to know, you know, what, what's this animal been through? Right. And we, 
significant number of animals who come to us and need to have some kind of training. They need, they're shy and fearful or um, they have a lot of energy and they need to learn some manners. And so we work with those animals and sometimes that can take 30, 60, 90 days before they're really ready. And then, and then the training continues once they get home right. um, with the dog from the puppy mill, they were very shut down. They did not know what it was like to be a dog, let alone sleep on a couch or in the bed or have a tummy rub. And so they had to learn all that. And And the great thing is, is now we're getting all of these wonderful photos and stories from these adopters. And we're just, our hearts are just so overjoyed because they're living their best life now. They went yeah. from living out these kennels and not knowing what it was like to have love And now they're just surrounded by it. And a lot of that was because they saw the story and they saw the photos of those animals and wanted to meet them. And that's just the most powerful thing when you can know where that animal came from and you see them walk out the door into their forever home. Wow. Yeah, I cannot cannot imagine here because, you know, the purpose of most of our stuff here is, you know, it's going to be it's promotional or it's fundraising so you're showing people what the organization does and it's not as straightforward as, you know, you have dogs that come in that need homes and you can, you have that narrative that you're already building. And I, I think that's an important part of the piece, what you were saying about um, the story. And I, I think people want to see how that animal will fit into their own story and how mm-hmm. they can kind of combine those things and, and make it one story. Um, and that's just such a, I, I can't imagine how rewarding that is because the work that we do here is super rewarding, but to, to be responsible for, you know, presenting these animals to the world and, and helping them find homes. That's just, that's really wonderful stuff. Yeah, I actually, um, and this is, I always share updates or any sort of note, where, you know, they might say, are the photo really captured me to come in? Or I really liked their video, or I really enjoyed reading their bio. I always try to share that with my volunteers that are the photographers, the videographers, the writers. I always try to share that with them because I want them to see like, look what, you know, directly resulting from what you did to help that animal, give it a voice and give it a story. They are now home, safe, love. So I also use it as a good motivational piece for my volunteers as well. And they always, you know, their hearts are full every time they see something like that. And that makes a lot of sense. Cause that's, you know, oh gosh, you know, people, you know, they, they go to work, they go home. They don't, they're not always paying attention to, to all of the things. And there's so much that's going on here that, you know, you don't always know what's going on in other parts of the building. So, you know, sharing that stuff internally is really important so that people, kind of understand like, you know, you get lost in the day to day, but look at this, look how important it is and look at this impact that you're having. I mean, that's really great. So what kind of advice do you have for all those amateur photographers out there trying to get the best pick of their pet? I would say be patient. Um, make sure that you have all of your equipment ready and charged and all your toys and tricks be very organized. Um, give your animal time to explore their surroundings. That's really important so that they can be comfortable in um, where they're at. You know, if you take them, you know, I've had um, friends who's like, hey, will you take our family photo? And they want to include their dog. And I'm like, you know, you need to make sure that you go and um, let them explore before you take the photo. (laughs) Right. Get them relaxed in their space. 
Well, uh, Trish and Taryn, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation, and I love getting to hear about the work that you do. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. For our last story today, we want to talk about a recent report from NBC News talking about service animals. For trainers of service animals, our current system here in the U.S. is kind of like the Wild West. There's no uniform certification or registration process for service animals, so it's opened a whole market for dog trainers to claim dogs as trained service animals when they may be anything but. Organizations like Assistance Dogs International have an accreditation program for service dog trainers, but it's voluntary. Now, in 2018, a lawsuit was filed against a company named Service Dogs by Warren Retrievers, who charged families up to $27,000 a dog, but often delivered, quote, poorly trained puppies with significant behavior issues and inadequate skills or training. They settled a lawsuit for $3 million. In 2020, a North Carolina company called Rycon was sued for charging families up to $16,710 per dog, even though they knew they weren't properly trained. The truth is that a fully trained service dog can cost anywhere from $10,000 to $40,000. Insurance doesn't cover it, which leaves folks who may be struggling with medical bills anyways in an even deeper hole. Crowdfunding is often the way folks who want a service dog for themselves or a family member have to go about it. And now the research shows that service animals aren't just good for those with vision or mobility impairments, but also help folks with autism, diabetes, seizures, psychiatric disorders, and more. The desire for them has grown exponentially. Not only can this raise the price of trained dogs, which again, isn't regulated, but also encourages folks to avoid the price tag by falsifying their dog's credentials. A number of states have taken action to create consequences for people who do this, but many businesses won't press the issue of a fake service animal because they fear running afoul of the Americans with Disabilities Act if they were to be wrong. So in the end, service dogs can do a lot of good, but our system for them right now does a disservice to all the loyal, properly trained dogs that are providing important support for their humans. We're big fans of the works that service dogs do, so the current system is troublesome mainly because it can give service dogs a bad name when they aren't properly trained or when someone's falsified documents to allow their dog access to a place they wouldn't normally be allowed. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks again to Trish Stinger and Taryn Jones for coming on the show today. You can check out their work at waysidewaves.org or follow them on social media. As for us, we're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services, and you can help. Head over to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, rate us and leave us a review because that we're basically best buds at this point. Also, it helps us find new people, which is what we want. And if you're here at the end of this episode, that's probably what you want too. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as Treasure Island author Robert Louis Stevenson said, you think dogs will not be in heaven? I tell you, they will be there long before any of us. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, written, hosted, and produced by Sierra Howe and Dave Shapiro, recorded, edited, mixed, mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Rob Musical Industries, also Dave Shapiro. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Rob Musical Industries. <laughs> <laughs>